Here we go. On uh, three, two, uh, one. Uh, welcome to this episode of Rock Talk with Mitch LaFon, the uh, video version. Of course, joining us is the one and only Steve Riley of LA Guns. And as you can see, Mark Alexander Erber of Golden Robot Records. Uh, bonjour, gentlemen. How are you? Morning, my man. It is a, it's, an, it's an international interview. I'm in Montreal. You're in, uh, I guess, Sydney, Australia. And then, of course, Steve, somewhere in California, I would imagine, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, being in L.A. guns, you have to live in California. Imagine if you lived, lived like in North Dakota, which you'd, you'd be the well, North Dakota guns. Well, I'll tell you what, the rest of the guys are all spread out all over the state. So it's not such a requirement right now. But, yeah, I'm still <laughs> here, Mitch. I'm still in Hollywood. So, you know, we, we have spoken over the last year, over the last months about, you know, you doing the M3 festival and you coming out here to tour. And then, of course, now the album comes out November 13th. So we are finally to the point where there will be new L.A. Guns music. So just for the fans out there, talk to me about the decision to make new music, because you could have book bars, book shows and just said, hey, we're going to play, you know, Ballad of Jane, Sex Action. We're just going to give you the hits in and out. No worries. Um Basically, why bother with new music? Why is it important to say, okay, we're going to give our singer a voice on an album with Renegades? I just always thought, Mitch, even when record sales started to dip for rock bands in the late 90s and in the early 2000s, I always thought it was just really healthy for a band to record new music, to write new music. Even you look past the sales, you look past the big machines that used to be around in the 80s. Mm -hmm. It's just healthy for bands to keep writing, to keep creating. And if you're a band that's been around as long as us, we know that we have a great catalog of music that mm -hmm. we're going to, have to play live. But it's always great to sprinkle in that set with like three or four of the new songs that you've just created and it's just good for the soul of the band to be a creative force still and to write. And uh, I've just always believed that. I think it's just really good to keep on creating and just keep writing and don't just rest on your laurels. Yeah. So uh, talk to me about that when you're creating the new music, because the band, of course, does have a, a, a different lineup. Do you think back to Hollywood vampires and to American hardcore and wasted and, and albums that came before and say, okay, I need to create an LA gun sound. Or do you say, you know what? Got a new singer here. We got uh, the guitarist that's been with us before. Uh, Kelly is back. Do we just say, heck the heck with it. It's 2020. We're making new, new music, new sounds. I just, uh, you know, a band that's been around as long as us, we have a sound. We have mm -hmm. a sound that our fans like. We have a style of music that our fans like. And it, it was a conscientious effort between me and Kelly that we, when we started this, uh, this project to not stray too far away from the LA Gun sound, to stay true to what we sound like and, right. and what kind of style we are. And uh, our albums, if you look at even the, the, all of the early stuff, we've always had a mixture of material on our albums that takes you into different directions too. We never wrote 14 hard rock songs. We've always had a mixture of styles within our albums. I think we kind of accomplished that with Renegades. We yeah. have that mixture where it moves from one 
tempo to another, from one area to another. And we've always been like that. But again, we didn't want to stray far from the LA Gun sound. Kelly and I are co-writers on all of the earlier material and we are proud of that material. So it was very important for us to stay true to our sound and Scotty and Kurt stepped up to the plate. They're both it, big LA Guns fans and they both delivered that sound for us and the great songwriters too. Yeah, yeah, you know, they really did. And that, that's what I want to talk about also. And I want to ask this to, to Mark. Mark, you know, you, you went out and you signed the band. You knew that the band and, and the name was going to create a controversy. Did you at any time say, hey, guys, let's change the name? Or do you say, no, F with it. We're, we're, this is what it is. Um, talk to me about your decision in terms of marketing the band and marketing the music, because you knew that it was going to have sort of, you know, a, a divided fan base and all that nonsense that goes with it. Um, hard decision for you? No, easy decision, because at the end of the day, and I've said this before, I only want to sign bands that have good people in them and sign bands that are easy to work with and sign right. bands that are authentic. And right. when you look at guys like Kelly and Steve, you can't get any more authentic or true rock and roll than these guys. And at the end of the day, um, I wanted to make sure that, you know, I knew that um, I knew about, obviously, that there was at that particular point, there was um, the chance of two LA Guns releasing albums. Um, Steve and I met in Los Angeles and um, we had a good chat and, and instantly there was a good, there was good synergy between us and I wanted to work with him and give him, what was important was we all sort of knew whatever was going to, whatever was going to uh, come up was going to come up. But I wanted to make sure that Steve Kelly, Scott and Kurt had the right platform. So, um, and as you know me, I don't really give a fuck about um, uh, all that other stuff. People can try all they want. It's, you know, it, it makes no difference. We're just here to put out good music. And at the end of the day, you either listen to it or you don't. Right. <laughs> it's it's well, pretty, pretty simple. Um, you know, and, and I sort of looked at that, you know, when back in the day when I would listen to Howard Stern, people would say, oh, it's horrible. They should take him off the air. And I was just like, well, yeah, turn take him off. off your air by turning off your radio. Like, and, and, <laughs> and that was the way it was. So at the end of the day, I always felt that this, that Steve Riley being in LA Guns with Kelly Nichols and then obviously Kurt and Scott with their um, lineage with the band um, made, it was real. It was real. I looked at the the, the, the back end paperwork that, that, that uh, Steve's had for, you know, 150 years. And at the end of the day, it, it all made sense and it was all real. And he has every right to have that name. So let's rock and roll. And then... The cherry on top was they came up with the album. And the album, well, when I first heard Crawl, um, I knew how well it would do. We all knew how well it would do. And it's been a really, it's been an interesting process. So at the end of the day, we wanted to give them a home. We wanted to give them a home where they could go and record, not worry about anything else, and know that their music would go out to the world no matter what was going on. COVID, court cases, Trump, <laughs> all the dramas that are out there, we just wanted to make sure that we stuck to our our, our guns without, forgive the pun. And we did. Forgive the pun. You know, and, and, and I do want to move on from the name thing because I, I don't want every interview to be that, but yeah. I just got to say as a, as a rock reporter, I report on what's going on in rock and I always find it 
strange when fans give me shit when I report stuff. So LA Guns with, with Steve has done an album called Renegades and I post about it often. And it's just, I get, oh, it's not this, it's not that. And it's just like, listen, why are you giving me shit? I'm just reporting what's out there. And so it, it, it's amusing that somehow, uh, whether it's me or an Eddie Trunk, and we talk about it, we're somehow part of a conspiracy of something. And it's just like, no, you it's know a new album with new music. Here it is. You know what I think it is? There, in, in, in the world today, and you can see what is going on in politics in America, for example, in the world today, everyone likes to belong to a club. There's a real club mentality in the world at the moment in 2020. Everyone thinks they need to pick a side. And you don't necessarily have to pick a side. Um, You can listen to whatever LA guns you want to listen to. You can listen to whatever music you want, whatever version of Whitesnake you want to listen to. Um, yes. You know, it, it, it doesn't, whatever, ace, you know, some people won't listen to Brian Johnson, but they'll only listen to Bon Scott. That's all fine. But you know what? I look at it in the way that if the music's good, you listen to it and you buy it or you stream it or you do whatever you want. Um, I've always said to a million people, we're not saving kids' lives here. We're putting, we're, we're, we're putting music out. Um, and I know what we're doing is making people happy. The people that aren't happy, well, I, I think they're unhappy anyway. So uh, our albums aren't going to make any difference. So that, that, that's the way we look at it. And you know what, Mark, it, 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 like, like I said so many times, it all boils down to if you got good songs. If you right. don't have good songs, you don't have anything. You could still have the name of the band. You can have great players, but you have to have good songs. We think we have good songs. We have good writers in this band. I think everybody knows Kelly wrote Ballad of the Chain, our biggest hit. And mm. we're all songwriters. And I think Crawl, Well Oiled Machine, Renegades, they're great songs. And I don't think they people- are. They won't stream them if they're not. And like I said, you don't have anything without starting at that point. And I think we accomplished that. I think we got 10 strong songs on Renegades. And you know what it shows? It shows, Mitch, Steve, it shows that if the songs weren't great, they wouldn't have streamed so well. And they've actually streamed. There's a new single came out yesterday or on Monday, but the first three singles have streamed unbelievably well. I'm not comparing them to anything. I'm just saying they've streamed unbelievably well. And let me just reiterate a point I said before that um, if someone's not happy, I didn't. I'm not suggesting that they're not happy in their lives. I'm saying they're looking for something to complain about, or they're looking for something to have a go at us about. And we just rise above that and keep moving forward. That's right. Yeah, and, and and as you should. And and quite frankly, and and I'll, I'll I'll end on this point, and then I'll move on to other parts of, of Steve's career. But in, in 2011, Tracy Guns gave an interview talking about his other band called L.A. Guns, which what didn't have Phil Lewis. And he said, we're a McDonald's franchise at this point, And I'm a franchisee of this. So, you know what? It is what it is. So just, you know, let's let's move on. Um, Steve, I want to go back to American Bandstand with the buzz back in the day. Right. The bees. The, or the, the, bees. the bees. Sorry, the bees, the buzz. Right. It's an apostrophe, not a you. Um. Talk to me about that time and and what took so long from 82 until you got to Wasp and, you know, was there a, what, how can I put this without sounding too, you know, I'll make a pun out of it, but what was the buzz on the bees and what killed your buzz and why did you have to move on to Wasp and to Keel and to these other bands? Why did this band that was on American Bandstand, it had something going on because you don't get on American Bandstand because you're just cute. Um, 
what happened? Well, you know, Mitch, between like 75 and I believe 83, mm -hmm. I had done a number of bands that did one-off albums. We got deals, we did an album, and got dropped. And I did right. a number of bands like that. The Bees was one of those bands. Tom Warman signed us to Epic. Yep. He produced the album. But before that happened, we have the distinction of being the only unsigned band to be on American Bands yet. Dick, wow. Clark, Dick Clark actually came in the dressing room and told us that we are the only unsigned band he has ever led on the that show. So that's a distinction we have. What happened with the bees was, you know, when you have even a good band too, you have to have direction. You have right. to have management and a label behind you. Right now, me and Kelly feel that way with Mark and Eric and, and Bobby. We feel like we have a direction. We, have, we feel like we have a team of people that are aimed in the same direction, have the same kind of goal, and we know what we want to do. The Bees, unfortunately, didn't have that. They had a management team that was not very good, didn't know where to take the next step, and you're exactly right. Getting on American Bandstand unsigned should have been the catapult into right. the thing. And we were right at the forefront of the 80s, too, because that was in 81, I believe, 80, 81. 80, well, then, the album came out in 82, so it must have yeah. been 82. Right? Yeah, so. 80, 81, and then 82, the album came out, right. and we got a video done, Get Get Up, and it made a little bit of play on MTV. But that's when you need the management and the label to jump in and push, because that band had some good songs. But yep. if you don't have the complete machine, that's what happened with the bees. And so like from 75 to 83, I did a number of one-off albums with bands like that, that got signed and did one album and uh, eventually broke up. Then uh, obviously like when I got out of the bees between 82 and 83, 84, early 84, I, I did a bunch of session work in LA and that's where I, fell into the Keel Wasps machine. And I somebody told me to go down and tell Ron Keel I could play this album for him. He was doing it with Gene Simmons. And that's when I started getting into like solid stuff. But I had done so much one-off stuff up to that point. From yeah, 73. And, and it, it must have been hard just being like the, the sort of the guy that bounced around. But I, I do want to get into production. So I'm going to start at Tom Warman and then we're going to work our way to Renegades. Uh, because Tom Warman's one of my favorite uh, producers. I've actually gone over. He's got a bed and breakfast now out uh, near Boston that I've stayed at, which is absolutely gorgeous. I mean, oh. Mark and, and, and Steve, you got you got to fly over and stay at, at Tom's bed and breakfast. It's gorgeous. Together? Yeah, let's let's all go together. They they have big rooms. It's fine, and he and he makes your breakfast, so you can't complain. But um, what was it like working with Tom? Because I, you know, I listened to the Motley Crue stuff, I listened to the Cheap Trick stuff, and it sounds great. And then you talk to the Cheap Trick guys, and you talk to the Motley Crue guys, and they say, "Ah, oh, Tom was horrible. He was an evil terror." And yet their most successful albums were produced by Tom. So some, exactly. somebody got it right somewhere. Yeah, you know, um, Werman was the guy that we courted and the Bees courted him. 
because okay, so it, he wasn't it, the, the 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 label guy that was imposed on you. No, he was the guy at Epic that was right. running the A and R department and was a right. producer. So from his work with Cheap Trick and Ted Nugent, I mean, right. we were big fans of Tom Worman. So when it was Epic and we were courting Epic to sign us, he was there. He was going to be the guy that signed us. We asked him to produce the record too. So he produced the B's record. That was right. Tom Worman's production. So, you know, Worman was somebody that I knew and was friends with in the early 80s. So when Cocked and Loaded came along with uh, LA Guns, yep. you know, we started talking about producers and I told the guys, let's get Worman. He had already done the Cheap Trick and Nugent stuff, but then by that time he had done the Motley stuff too. So these guys were big fans of Motley and Wasp. These LA Guns guys were big fans of the early 80s stuff. Rat, Motley, and Wasp and stuff. So I told them we should get Worman to produce Cocked and Loaded. Right. And I'm telling you, Mitch, it was a great move. And I don't understand why these bands put down producers, not just Worman, other guys that have produced some of their biggest works and say they don't like them or they have any dislike for them. I just never got that. I love Tom. I think he did a yeah. great job. He was great to work with. Well, well, listen, even L.A. Guns Cocked and Loaded, which we can argue whether or not it's your best album or the biggest album. Uh, some of your former bandmates shit all over Tom, too, for it. And you're like, but Cocked and Loaded was it. You know, Cheap Tricks was it, you know, uh, and you're just like. Yes. No, 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 I don't get it. I never got it and I never will. And uh, I totally disagree with that type of attitude towards somebody who helped craft a really, really good, successful work for you. How could you possibly go back? It's almost like when people, when they interview me, I, I make a point of letting them know, I can never put down former band members. And I've played no. with so many of them, Mitch, and so many different bands. Why would I have played with them? Why would I have worked with them that long if I didn't like it and think that they were great and that they were yes. perfect to work with? I, I just never got putting down former band members, former producers, even former managers. I just never got that putting down of, of anybody that I've worked with in the past. But this thing with Worman, and it's all over the threads and everything about other bands putting him down. I know D had a problem with them too. I don't know. Those are the yeah. biggest albums these guys had. <laughs> because, uh, what was it? Uh, Stay Hungry wasn't a big album at all. You know, Nobody's ever heard of that. It was huge, and that's Worman. That's Worman and his team, Dwayne Barron yes. and John Perdell, and they were great to work with, I thought. And if it was up to me, we had a terrible time in our pre-production for Hollywood Vampires. It went on and on and on. We did so much soul-searching for who should be the producer, and I always thought Worman should be it. We're coming off a cocked and loaded, man. We're coming off a big successful album with five singles all over MTV, a great world tour that went on for a year and a half. Why not go back in with Tom Worman and Dwayne Barron? But you know, we it was we didn't do it. Oh, no. we, ended up, we ended up picking a guy that did something else. I still like Hollywood Vampires, but I think I would have liked it even more if Tom did it. Yeah, and now let, listen. Let's be fair. Michael James Jackson, uh, of course, did Armored Saint, but he did Kiss His Creatures of the Night. Uh, we know that uh, Tracy loves uh, Creatures of the Night. It's a great album. It's got a big drum sound. 
not a horrible choice, Michael James Jackson, but I like Tom Warman. I, li- I like how he rounds the edges and makes them sort of sugary sweet. You know, I, I like that. I agree. And I, and I have nothing against Michael James Jackson because I know that that's what Trace and the guys were thinking. Hey, let's get this big, big drum sound. Creatures yep. with Eric Kaya, the huge drum sound. And uh, I get it. But, you know, it was a lot of uh, soul searching to find that producer. We didn't choose him to wait on the line. We looked at Rick Rubin. We looked at tons, tons of people. And uh, Michael did it. And I think it's the album still came out very good, though. It did. Now, in terms of uh, producing Renegades, uh, tell me the story of how you decided who to use, what to use, and just get into the production of Renegades in terms of what kind of sound were you going? Was it just, let's just get in the studio, lay this down in, in six hours and get out of here? Did you want to rethink stuff? Talk to me just a little bit about producing uh, Renegades. Well, you know, I, I'm so fortunate, Mitch. I got to work with Todd Rundgren, Tom Warman, Gene Simmons. I did four, mm-hmm. four albums with Andy Johns. And Andy, yeah. John, Andy Johns did those four albums, and I became very close to him. And obviously, like every other musician, I know he was a master. He's worked with everybody and that we love and done some amazing uh, production work and engineering work. So when we did the four albums with Andy Johns, I got to tell you right up front, if Andy had not passed away, I probably would have approached him and asked him if he wanted to produce this album. But what I did was by working with him on four albums, I soaked in so much of what he did and how he approached the room, how he mic'd up the room, how he approached the band and the songs and how he would play the engineer, how he would just everything about him. I was soaking up energy from him and and just so much knowledge. So when I decided to produce the album, I used the same engineer that Andy used. We went to the same studio. I knew how to mic up the room and I knew how to get a drier sound. And that means not the big 80s bombastic drum sound that overproduced sometimes. That would have been good, but yes, go on. I I didn't really want to go that route. I wanted it to be an old school recording. We were on a tight budget and a tight schedule with flying all the guys in from around the country. So it was an old school recording. I used a lot of Andy's knowledge that I had soaked up from him. We had become very, very close and good friends. And I even did some session work for him too. And um, I just really leaned on all of those guys, Gene Simmons, Tom Warman. I did an album with Todd Rundgren. Those people really, I mean, I'm such a, a student of music too, that I just didn't want to go in and record my drum parts for all the albums that I did. I wanted to hang with the producers and see what they were doing. So working with those guys was invaluable. And Andy Johns was the man for me. I really, really leaned on it, the knowledge I, I, I got. Oh, from he, he was great. Now, uh, just before Mark, uh, Mark leaves us here for a second, Mark, I, I just want to ask you as a label, when the band's why leaving, why am I leaving? Where am I going? <laughs> well, I, I know you looks like you were going to go have breakfast. No, but I'm kidding. Uh, no, but in terms of, of of as a label, when the bands give you the music, how much input do you have? Do you let the creative team say this is what we made and that's it, or do you listen to something and say, "Listen, son of a gun, I'm not going to be able to sell this. You need to go redo it." You know, are you hands on or hands off or both. You know, do you interfere or don't interfere? How, how, how do we put it that way? Both. Okay. It depends on the band. 
Um, okay. You know, as you know, we've got such a you know 300 bands now across nine labels. So right. we've got so many different types of bands. If it's a young band out of the UK and they send us some music, we'll be able to say to them, mm, I think this should be the single because that one needs more work or this needs to be remixed or no, the mastering is not good on this. I had a band, I won't say who, who, who recently sent us an, a, a song and when it got to a certain point and this orchestra came in, which was awesome rock song, the vocals were too low. So we said to them, vocals up. So we get involved little nitty gritty or right. we don't get involved at all. As far as LA Guns was went, um, we didn't get involved so much in the sound of the music because how, how, who I'm going to tell Steve Riley how to do an album. I mean, just how to do an LA Guns album, right? Yeah, I mean, that's crazy. Steve, that's not LA Guns. Yeah. Try again. Yeah, no. <laughs> so, so there was there was no that. So for their that particular example for them, no, we were very just excited to get the music. For other people, yes, we can particularly get involved. But as we said before, when I first heard Crawl which was the first song that I actually heard to come out, I, I knew that they were on the right, um, on the right track. Because right you know what? As we said before, it's authentic and, it, and, and, it's, and it's real. So you, you, can't, you can't screw with that. So, yeah, yeah and, and by the way, you know, when you tell somebody you got to, you know, push the vocals up, that, that to me is not interfering in the creative process. I'm thinking, you know, when you say, no, you need you need to add a second guitar here and you need to rewrite that chorus. You're not doing that stuff. You're just saying, hey, we have we okay. have. Yeah. Yeah. Some of our A&R and A&R guys have. Um, I know some specific examples where they have. But we vet our bands pretty well. We're, we've got some. I mean, if you look at if you look at. The, you know, the, the Vanilla Fudges and Jefferson Starships and all that kind of stuff and LA Guns and Gilby and, um, you know, these guys, you know, you, know, you won't be, uh, I'd love to be, imagine me telling Gilby Clark um, how to change a song. He'd grab, he'd try and grab me through the, through the Zoom, um, uh, which would be fantastic. Can you do another Tijuana jail for us? That would be good to that Gilby. Would be good. I love Gilby. And actually, that would be good, but well, never mind. And you, you look at it. So my point was, you look at Gilby's album, he's got some incredible players on it. And up these other bands that are coming through, um, and I don't like to get involved really in that um, um, dynamic. Yeah, no, 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 no. I mean the all-star bands. But if you look at the bands okay. that are coming through, like Minefield or Ghost of Sunset, um, Minefield's got Todd Kearns in it. Um, mm -hmm. how, how, how are you going to tell Todd? He's been around with Slash and everybody else that he plays with. So you've got these 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 great bands, and they know what they're doing. So we sort of. These the bigger bands we sort of we're vetting them anyway. We right. know they know what they're doing, so we're good at what we do. They're good at what they do. Comes together nicely. It comes together, but you yeah. know, Todd, Todd's Canadian, so you need to help out just a little extra. You, know? <laughs> you need to help yeah. out. What a great um, Steve. I just want to get back to to LA Guns for a second. You know, as the band progresses, and I'm talking here from from the fans' perspective. We get to American Hardcore. We get to Wasted, which I had a, a hand in. We get right. to Shrinking Violet. To me as a fan, I followed along and I always thought, you know, to me, this is LA Guns. It, it, it works. How is it for you, though, going through those changes and, and having a new singer come in, you know, having Chris Vandal come in, having uh, Johnny Crypt come in on bass, having the uh, Jizzit. By, by the way, whatever happened to Johnny Crypt? Is he, is he still around? You know, I haven't spoken or seen him for a long time. I think he runs some websites or something like that. I don't know if he's oh, playing music. Oh, he was he was very nice to me, I, I can oh, say. Sure. But, he's a great guy. But, but how was it uh, for you in terms of the band going, okay, 
do you come to American hardcore and say, shit, we got to start over? Or you just say, no, it's all like guns. We do what we do. I play my drums the way I play my drums and off we go. How, how did you approach all these changes? Well, you know, uh, it was the first thing we did, Tracy and I, after the classic lineup broke up in 95, was take a hard left turn. I don't think it was right. We went American hardcore. Tracy was totally into Pantera at the time. He wanted to do a Pantera type of album. It was just a great lesson to be learned from our fans. This is why I tell you that Kelly and I made a conscientious effort to stay true to LA Gun Sound. You have to, if you're a band that's been around a while and you have a loyal fan base that loves your style of writing and loves your style of rock, then you can't take that hard left turn. The album we did with you, Wasted, and the album we did after that, Shrinking Violet, those were more LA Gun style written songs. But if you listen to American Hardcore, Mitch, you know, that is a hard left turn we took. I mean, that was totally on LA guns, I you right. know it was fun to do. It was kind of challenging. A lot of double kick, a lot of mixture with some jazz in it. I mean, we were all over the place, but it wasn't very LA gun sounding. So you know that was the only one that was a little bit difficult because the fans couldn't understand it. But then we came and we did wasted with you. It was more with Michael Starr singing, and we were. It was more about LA gun style style written album. It had compact songs that were LA Gun style. Same thing with Shrink and Violet with Jizzy Pearl. And uh, you know, you approach them with, you know, uh, you you feel like you can do it and you can write the same type of style of song and you can write the same kind of a, a rock song that your fans are accustomed to. But um. Boy, did we learn a lesson with American Hardcore. That was the only one record that I've done with LA Guns that was just completely out into the left. I got to tell you just real quick on that one, and, and I don't want to spend too much time on it, but first of all, the, the, the version or the cover version of Black Sabbath that you did was good, was great. Um, when it first came out, I had a hard time accepting it, and I ended up accepting it you know, a couple of years later. But to be fair... Bands were doing that. You know, Scorpions did Eye to Eye. Uh, Def Leppard did Slang. Uh, right. e- even Bon Jovi with, um, what was that? What, These Days, which was a little darker. And, you know, everybody was doing this album like, well, the uh, grunge hit. And the, where are we going? So everybody was trying. And, yeah, you know, I agree. I agree. You know, had, I mean, had American Hardcore had a single, uh, you might have done five more of them. So, you know, we everybody tried. You know, it was very trying time, too, because... Obviously, you said you, you were absolutely right. We're right in the middle of the grunge thing, and we're trying to find a way back into the mold, too, because everything 80s was out in the 90s. And so, you know, you had this new style of music that was more rough around the edge and more, it was a tougher sound. It wasn't all party up, and, you know, it, yeah. was, it was a darker era, and we were trying to fit into that. And I think a lot of bands, did that like you just said they tried to find their way around in that and um, i think after we did that album we realized that no we have a style that we write we have a a, a fan base that likes certain type of song from us so that's why wasted and shrinking violet are more of a compact la gun sound but i i agree with you a lot of bands were searching 
we were searching for where to go at that yeah. point. And, and just to, to finish that thought, a lot of those bands did those one albums and then the next album comes after and they go, you know what? Our fans like that, you know, Def Leppard with Euphoria. You look yeah. at Scorpions with Unbreakable. Uh, what, came, what came after it? Crush with Bon Jovi. They just went, okay, this is the sound. Just give them that, you know, give them that's that sound. And of course, the arena started filling up again. So that's correct. You know, the greatest, you know, the greatest switch, I've, and I think about it all the time. And and I love them, and some people don't love them, but that's okay. That's up to How did you two go from the Joshua Tree? Because you've got to remember, in 1988, three to, uh, bands uh, what in was the that world. called? Pop music or whatever it was called. No, the three biggest bands in the world in '88 was In Excess with the Kick, yep. the Kick, Guns and Roses with Appetite, and you yep. two with Joshua Tree. So then right. they came out with Rattle and Hum, which was pretty much the same. But how do you go? Unforgettable Fire, Joshua Tree, wait two years, go to Berlin and come back in 91 during grunge with Achtung Baby. The greatest turnaround, you listen to Joshua Tree and you listen to Achtung Baby. Dude. It's like two different bands. You can hear yep. Edge's guitar and yeah, 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 Larry's playing, all that kind of stuff. But how incredible to this day, it gives me goosebumps, how do you get one band that was one of the biggest bands in the world that did a left a left turn and sure. pulled it off. Who else pulled it off like that during that era? Oh, the, the only one I could suggest would be Madonna because Madonna always changed who Madonna was. You go from mm -hmm. Holiday and uh, uh, Like a Virgin and Lucky Star yeah. to what she was doing later on. You go, oh, she's a pop dance diva for clubs and now she's doing this. And you know what, though? That's, that's an interesting point because there are some bands or, or artists like Madonna, like you two, where if they gave you the same old, same old, yeah. you would be disappointed and not be a fan. And then there are other bands like ACDC or the Scorpions. And if they try anything different, you go, oh, eye to eye is the worst album ever. How dare you not do the same? So it's just strange how some bands are permitted to progress and change and experiment. And other bands are completely forbidden. It's a comfortable Can't. blanket. If you look at ACDC. And yep. there's always that age-old question about the back in black. And I, I read about it all the time. Because um, I always tried to model Golden Robot on early Alberts. So, you know, we've got Rose Tattoo on the label. Um, and, and you know, it was always the way the Alberts did things in those early days with a certain sound. They had their, they had their studio and they recorded everything in the same studio with Vander and Young, et cetera, et cetera. But I always wondered, with back in black, Everyone says that, that Bon Scott wrote half the album because there's never been an album like that, which I actually tend to agree that they had those songs. But right. would it have been as big as if he didn't pass away? Would Back and Black have been that gigantic multi-million dollar seller, uh, multi-million sort of uh, uh, copies sold if he'd still be alive? Or did it take his death to take them to another level? I've always wondered what the right answer is there and if we'd ever know. And, my, and the reason I'm bringing that up is because ACDC has always been a comfortable blanket that you can come on. Like when I go and train, I like to box every day. I always put potentially an ACDC album because you know what you're going to get and you know right. what you're going to get hyped up, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> so um, at, at the end of the day, uh, I think that's, you're right. Some bands can change because they're okay, they're allowed. Some bands have to stay the same. And without segueing that, uh, segueing that back to Steve, what Steve's clever is if you really listen to Renegades, and I'm not pushing Renegades here because I don't need to. Well, yes, I do. But I'm not, yeah, I'm not trying to. I do. Push but it. I, Push it. The reason <laughs> Renegades is a good album and the fans will ultimately 
all like it is because it's the truest essence of rock and roll. It's like Steve and Kelly have got everything they've ever done, put it in this big cake mix and mixed it up and put it in. And that's their experience and it's their life and it's everything that they've done and they've pumped it out into 10 songs. So it's still got that creativity and that, and that, um, that true vibe to who they are. And that's yep. what people want. And it sounds like a fabulous LA Guns album, but today in 2020, 2021. So it's very clever what they've done. It sounds like old school, but it's actually relevant today. And not many bands can do that. They either go off in one or one or the other directions. Does that make sense? Yeah, it absolutely yeah, makes sense. Yeah, because we've always had that mark with our album starting in 87. We've always mixed it up and uh, it's part of our formula too, where we, where we have a mix of a sound on an album. And like I said, it's not going to be 14 hard rock songs, one after another. It's not going to be 14 well-oiled machines. It's, it's going to be a mix. It's got to take you places. I Peaks think and valleys. On this album. Yeah, yeah. Now, just real quick on Renegades, is Renegades sort of the, the 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 culmination of this of this lineup where you say, okay, now we've got an album, we and now we can just go focus on playing shows. Of course, when we can play shows, or is this the beginning where you say, okay, this is Renegades, and in 2021 there'll be you know volume two, and in 2023 there'll be volume. Is, is this yeah. the beginning, or do you say, no, we, we put our record out, we're done, now we're just going to go play cocked and loaded uh, full album shows and come on out, folks? No, we when we started this pre-production, Mitch, we, uh, all, with having four songwriters, we were sitting on a lot of material, all four of us, that we had written, and uh, we exchanged about 35 songs, maybe even a couple more than that, wow. from all four of us, and we narrowed it down to 10 that we really wanted to do, not because the other ones were weaker or, or any reason like that. It was just right. these 10 songs made a lot of sense to put together on the album. But that's a great thing to, to have right now. We have a wealth of material. We intend on doing another album with Mark this year coming up and the next year. We would love to ultimately go out on the road and play three or four of these songs off of Renegades because we have to do two thirds of the material from the old school. We have to do that. The fans want to hear it and we understand that and we're proud of it, but we want to go out there and play maybe these three or four singles that we've released and uh, our dates start in March. Who knows? You know, I mean, all the shows from 2020 moved into 2021. We spoke, we're supposed to start up in March 2021. We have a great list of festivals, casinos, and fairs that we're going to do. Mark wants to bring us over to um, Australia yeah. and New Zealand. But, yeah, no, we're, we're sitting good right now. We have a lot of material we're sitting on. We have songwriters. I got to tell you something real quick. The three singles we released, right. Crawl, Well Oil Machine, and Renegades, those are three songs Kelly Nichols brought in. He brought those songs in very, very late in pre-production. I'm talking about super late, where they were just a gist of a song. They weren't something that he was then sitting on like the other three of us. We had been sitting on material that hadn't been recorded. It was just our private stock of songs. Kelly brought those three songs in so late. So he's such a prolific songwriter too that we're sitting on songs that we still have 
in that we know that we can create songs too. So we are going to be doing two, three more, four more albums with Golden Robot and Mark and, and we definitely intend on new material every year. And yeah, why go through all this shit just to drop one album and then play the greatest hits for the next 10 years? This is like Mitch, this is like a new band. Yes, they've got the pedigree and the history, but it's like a new band. Our attitude is like it's a new band. So, this Renegades is the first album of the new band. So we're hoping we're going to try and drop one a year. And I think it, I think at the end of the day, can you imagine? I mean, as we said before, the singles have been a huge success. And I can tell you now, and you're the first person, Mitch, to know this, um, but the vinyl and the CD um, on pre-order to the shops sold out for three wow. pressings. So we're up to a wow. third pressing on the vinyl already. Um and in fact, all the all the coloured vinyl is just about sold out, um, or it has sold out in the shops, and we're selling it online now. But so it's it's the the uptake has been extremely good, and they haven't played one show to promote yeah. this album, to, yeah. to play Crawl Renegades, Well Old Machine live. They haven't been able to play one show, obviously, because of everything that's going on. Can you imagine if things were normal and these guys could be out playing? What we've done without playing live, I think, is unbelievable and a testament to how much they're loved. Yeah, and and uh, I'll, I have one more question for you, Steve, but I'll, I'll just say this to that is it goes to show that too much attention is given to the net the people with the negative voices that you know the negative voices that always attack my Twitter and whenever I mention LA, uh-uh. <laughs> and yet the fans are buying it and the fans Absolutely. are listening and the streams are going and the videos you know you look at the the numbers on the videos so the people that love it aren't speaking up and they should because there's so much of those others that scream ah it's not but they will after friday because on friday they'll have this in their hands yeah and on friday they'll be able to see the 10 songs together and see the story that it tells and go you know what this makes sense. All the negative stuff, all the bullshit that people go on. You know what? This is a fucking great rock and roll album. And that's yeah, all it, it is. That is at the end of the day. It is. And, you know, it I tell you what, it, it, it really, I, I can't stress it enough in interviews and that you got nothing without songs. You have nothing. You don't have streaming. You don't have people liking it. You don't have a label like Golden Robot so behind it if you don't have the songs. And so that negativity, Mitch, that you're talking about, it kind of disappears when they listen to the songs. They, you know, I mean, both bands have two classic members in it. All five of us wrote all of that old stuff. We've all wrote it together. You'll look at the credits, all of our names are on it. And all of our names are on all of these songs too on Renegades. It, it, it's been something that I brought with me two LA guns in 87. I told everybody that once somebody brings the gist of a song into a pre-production and the band finishes it, we should all get credit. Because if we move together, if we move ahead together in a democratic way, it's just a good way to go for a band. So sharing, credit, yeah, sharing credit on songs is such a great way. I saw Van Halen did it. I saw Deep Purple did it. A yes. lot of bands did it and they shared credit. So when you do have success, all the band members are moving forward together. 
And uh, like that wasn't the case in Wasp. Blackie wrote most of the material. So any success with that material, he was kind of moving past the three of us because we didn't have any publishing. I just thought that a democratic way and a really, even in Wasp, when a song would come into the studio, did you think that me, Chris Holmes and Randy just sat there? No, we put our touches on it and we made the song what it was, but it was a blacky composition yeah. and that's how you it see, went down. And, you know? and I, have, I have seen back in the day, especially some of the 80s bands where one guy's living in an apartment with his mom and the other guy's driving around in a Lamborghini and you go, yeah. what the hell? And you're like, <laughs> oh. you're like, what? He goes, oh, but I got the song credits. Like, yeah, but his guitar added to that song, his drama. I'll tell you and, what, Mitch. And it broke up a lot of those bands. Yeah, and I'll tell you what, Mitch, our publishing from the 80s albums that we did in the early 90s too, is identical. All yes. five of us, get identical checks because we did it a democratic way. And so like, you know, if money's coming in on Ballad of Jane, even though Kelly brought the gist of the song in, we finished the song in the studio together. It's just a really good democratic way to do it. And that's what we did with Renegades too, you know? It's just across the board, no matter whose song we brought in, we finished it together and everybody gets credit on it. Yeah, and, and that's what I like. And I'll finish on this because we're, we're already at about 45 minutes, but uh, what was it like working with Kelly again? Because, you know, during the 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 other albums, you, you worked with Tracy, you worked with Phil, you were, but Kelly wouldn't come back. Now he did. And and by the way, hopefully at some point for uh, LA Guns with uh, Renegades, maybe you can get Mick Cripps to it, to give up on the Brutalist and come and join you. Yeah, I mean, right. three, three fifths of, you know, but what was it like just to reunite with him and have him back in the band and have him as a confidant and have him writing the songs and laying down his bass and, and just being one of the guys again. Oh, tremendous man. You know, he wanted to come back in 2012 when we were doing Hollywood Forever. He wanted mm -hmm. to join and Phil shot it down. Phil didn't want it for some reason or another. And wow. we, were in, we were in a big movement. I wanted him to come back. He's been my best friend since I joined the band. And uh, we stayed best friends even when he was out of the band. So when he wanted to jump back in, I was all for it. I said, let's do it, Cal. And I knew he was a great songwriter. Any artwork that you see yeah. Yeah. for Renegades, anything, whether it's the logo, any artwork for the singles, the T-shirts, the badges, Kelly does all of it. All he of has got such a great eye. He's such a great artist. And he's a great songwriter. Plus, then you add on to that, he's my battery mate. Me and him were the rhythm section that were pushing everything from the beginning. So to have him back is just tremendous. I got my one of my best friends back. I got my bass player back who knows exactly how to play with me. And now we have the rhythm great, section. Yeah. And we have this great artist too, where we don't do even a round table. He just does it. He presents it to Mark. And like 99% of the time, it's just dead on and everybody loves it. So Having Kelly back is tremendous. I'm just thrilled having him back. Yeah, and I got to say, I've enjoyed all the artwork. I, I think the look of the album that that Mark showed before it just looks great. It looks like a rock and roll album. It's got that cover and the skull and yeah. bone. It just it, that's what it's supposed His to be. Work, his eye, Steve. I was going to mention it, Steve. Didn't the fact that he does all the artwork, all the singles covers, all the banners, anything from Spotify to iTunes, whatever we need to change, he'll do like that. And to have someone in the band and so close to it, 
I mean, when we were doing the 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 vinyl, you know, we've done six different versions of the vinyl in you know, different colours. When we actually put it into our distributors in Europe, it it, it just there was things that needed to be changed. We needed to change that thing like a dozen times, and he was on it. doing his is doing his head in, but he was on it every single time. So to have someone so close to it, but also so talented with art has been an absolute blessing. Yep. And, it, and it, it sets them apart from other bands because there's a lot of other bands that don't have that kind of quality artwork out there. And it really does make a difference. Oh, it totally does. And that's why yeah. I'm really happy with this product because everything's in-house too, Mark. We love it. I'm producing the albums. Kelly does the artwork. All four of us write songs. We got a machine with you and your team and we've got our great management. I just love the way everything's in house and where we're, we're and not you've got great rock reporters that support you. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, totally, Mitch. Really. <laughs> just hey, to man, throw that I in there. You, I gotta tell you, I feel bad for you because you caught a lot of slack for just liking me and Kelly, liking LA Guns, liking both versions. And I, I like just both never, versions. I never and yet one version is court courteous, and one yeah, and another version is not courteous. But it's Go been for like it. that the whole. It's been like that the whole way through, and and. And it's, I'm, I'm, I'm happy that Steve and Kelly have, all, have, have been really true to themselves throughout this whole process. And we've always appreciated your support. You're just doing your job. Oh, and and, and yeah. if, if you didn't like the album or you didn't like you'd be honest and say, I don't like it. But yes, you like I, it because it's good. I, I do. Hmm. And, and listen, if I was going to have this discussion of it's not the original guys, I don't like it. I would have said that on American Hardcore. I would have said that on Wait. I would have said it in 1990 fucking six. Yeah, that's right. 25 yeah. years ago. Exactly. And I didn't. I the fact that I stuck around. I agree. I, totally I just like agree. good songs. And, and it's just it's just strange, you know, when. When Delana was in the band, I went and supported when when Jizzy was there. You know, just he's doing an album for us. He's doing an incredible solo album or love, a love hate album at the moment. He's in the studio. Oh, nice. oh good. Well, so that that'll that'll be great, and you yeah. know, get Steve to uh, to guest on it. But I, I don't know. I mean, listen, when Stacy Blades was in the band, I thought he played great, and 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 people said, well, it, ripping off the covers and then Tales from the Tales from the Strip is a great fucking album. Uh, what's that song? Vampire. Vampire is one of the greatest songs L.A. Guns ever did. And it doesn't have all the clout. It has Adam Hamilton and Stacey Blades. That's right. That's right. Oh, fuck it. It's a great fucking I like song. Never enough. That song, Never Enough. I really like that. That's yeah. a great song too. Yeah. But uh, yeah, electric song. I'm just looking at the uh, the st- Earthshaker, the uh, the drum solo. Uh, <laughs> that, yeah, you know, so you don't always have to have the classic lineup to have classic songs. And I'm telling you, Vampire is a classic, classic song. I mean, you know, I good on you. Anyway. Anyway, it all works. We're here. We're, we're talking about it. Uh, and I will say, like I told the folks who would criticize me for Howard Stern, if you don't like it, turn it off. If you do, enjoy it and, and you know, tell your friends. That's it. Totally great. Totally you agree. Thank you. Thank you. Always a pleasure. And uh, there you go. We are, we are fini, as we say in Montreal. Merci beaucoup. Uh, thank you so much, Mitch. Thanks, Mitch. You're a real brother. You do your job Absolutely. well, my friend. You are a good voice for the people, and we appreciate what you do out there. Thank you, Mark. Thank you, and thank you, everybody. And uh, there you go. Let me know when you turn it off, and then we'll we'll move on. Okay. Bye. See you, buddy.